Section 13 of Neighbourhood A Year's Life in and About an English Village by Tickner Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 July Part 1 In the spring of the year, July seems as far off as middle age seems to youth, and almost as undesirable but when midsummer day is past and gone whether in human life or the year's progress we look at things with clearer more widely ranging eyes the man in his prime strength the season at the summit of its beauty these are fairer things than the childhood and the springtime that have gone to make them for the greater must be all the greater and more wonderful because it contains the wondrous less here is the first day of july come and ever since sunrise i have been straying about the field paths and lanes wending home indeed only when the fierce noontide heat and a ravening hunger combine to drive me thither there was this fierce tropic quality in the sunlight from the very first though the gilt arrow on the church dial pointed barely to four o'clock the level sunbeams struck hot and bright on the face and the dew in the grass by the lane side was shrinking visibly with every moment in an hour the last water-bell was gone from the shadiest nook in the wood only the teasels could defy the thirsty sun and these kept their water traps over brimming as if fed from a magic source far into the heat of the day there are many common things of the countryside small facts to be learned for the trouble of a glance which are little known because the glance is seldom given as i passed along the hedge where the teasel stood up straight as a row of church spires the glitter of the water in their leaf cups caught my eye and i stopped to look at them i had always thought of the teasels as natural drinking places for the bees and other flying or creeping things but now i saw that their use was very different studying the plant carefully the whole meaning of the thing dawned on me at last the teasel must be a flesh-eater more greedy and destructive than any spider in the land in the cups a host of creatures lay drowned and upon the green translucent leaves and stems there crawled multitudes of others all destined for the same fate there were in the water not only small insects but bumblebees large caterpillars and slugs even broad-winged night moths that had fallen to the teasel snare i saw also that the pools of water insulating every stem served not as traps alone but actually as digestive cells wherein the carcasses of the teasel's prey were gradually resolved into the slime that lay at the bottom of each cup 
somehow i conjectured this must be absorbed into the tissue of the plant and cutting one of the stems asunder just where the water-holding leaves embraced it i came upon what seemed proof of this a ring of apertures at the base of each cup sinkholes in fact leading into the substance of the stem the path wound up a hillside over a field of tares rippling away before me through the sea of purple blossom until it ended abruptly against the blue sky far above and here another minute wonder brought me to a halt though it was so early the hive bees were out and about in their thousands the great field was besieged by them the air throbbed with their music a madness for honey-making seemed upon them all and yet of all the busy thousands upon thousands set loose amidst what seemed illimitable forage ground nowhere could i see a hive-bee upon a flower i went down on hands and knees for a closer view believing at first that my eyes were playing false with me but there was no doubt about it though on every side the great furry bumblebees were seizing upon and dragging open the purple blooms of the tares the hive bees never touched these for all they were in so huge a heat and flurry of work now i knew that while every other insect under heaven has its times of relaxation deeming moments given over to dancing in a sunbeam or basking on a wall as moments not ill-spent the honey-bee allows herself no such wasteful delights if she were here in this tear-field in her thousands and here she was she came for no other purpose than a useful one clearly therefore the hive-bees were getting nectar in abundance yet how if they were not seeking it in the flowers another minute's careful watch resolved the mystery the tear-plant can almost rank with the slug-devouring teasel as a curiosity of the countryside knowing well that the hive-bee's tongue is not long enough to reach the sweets at the bottom of its flower-cup the tear provides a special feast outside at the base of each leaf and flower-stalk just where these join on to the main stem will be found a little green flap or fin in the centre of this fin is a valve from which exudes a thick sweet liquid if you are quicker than the bee you may see the tiny globule shining in the sun as you turn the plant up but even as you look a bee fusses in between your fingers drinks up the liquid in a moment and hums off to the next stalk if we can extend no more sympathy to the bee in her folly of never-ending labours than to a lily of the field at toil we must at least concede something for her fearlessness a peep into her own looking-glass 
is not always all of virtue's reward over the field of purple tares and on through the cornfields wheat waving high and green with the scarlet poppies flushing midway down in its murmuring depths who would have hawthorn and buttercups the bridal white and gold of spring when he can have poppies by the million and roses a wagon-load to be gathered from every hedgerow if he will where i stood breast high in the wheat-field the poppies crowded thick together among the green stems making one unbroken sheet of colour that i could hardly look upon in the full light of the summer sun a little way onward and this blood-red flare was softened instantly a dozen yards away there was nothing but the rustling green of the wheat every moment a lark rose out of the corn singing or dropped into it like a stone silently out of the blue the hedgerow on the far side of the field shone with the roses tremulous uncertain in the heated air beyond in the blue mist of woodlands a blackbird chanted his joy of the morning and all round me in the distant ring of hills there were cuckoos chiming each note clear but double some of the songs perfect still from the wheat the path led me presently into the oat-fields green too but of a cooler greyer tinge and full of a stealthy motion and the sound of wind though scarcer breath was moving overhead there is something eerie mysterious about a field of oats on a hot summer's morning it is as though the ears bent together and whispered to each other passing the word on unceasingly from plant to plant looking over the plain of grey-green awns stretching away under the still sunshine you see low wavelets rise and fall furrows come and go the light changes or suddenly the whole expanse grows mute and still a gentle inconstant breeze would produce exactly this effect but you see it when not a leaf moves in the highest treetops when even the aspens have hushed their quivering music under the noontide glare no doubt in a minor degree all plants show this movement whether it be caused by the travelling heat of the sun or be simply due to the varying impetus of growth in a great field of corn closely drilled there are always the separate individualities of the plants comprising it to be reckoned with that these exist in fact as well as in fancy is difficult to demonstrate but that each field has a communal spirit often different from or wholly antagonistic to that of its near neighbour is evident for how else to explain why all the ears of corn in one field lean eastward and all the ears in the next field may incline normally to the west 
coming homeward at last surfeited of sunshine eyes and ears outwearied with the brilliance and the melody of the day i stopped a while in the shadow of the church tower to consider an old familiar yet perennially interesting thing just as i at fiercest noon was returning to the shelter of my own cool ivy-mantled nest the swifts that had built in the tower were lancing back to their homes in the gloom of the belfry singly in twos and threes together every moment saw them arriving and disappearing through the jealousies but now none went forth again though they had been coming and going all the morning long there they would remain i knew quiet in the temperate dark of the old tower until the sun had got out of its furnace-like mood and then they would be out and about again yet filled with a wholly different spirit and towards sunset they would be tearing round the sky in a madcap chevy chase screaming like black imps let out of inferno windlecombe mead where the village cricket matches have been played from time immemorial lies on the gently sloping ground between arran river and the hills it was the day of the great annual match with stavisham and most of the older villagers had congregated on the benches round the scoring tent when in the sweltering heat of early afternoon i hurried down to the field with pencil and book the townsmen it seemed had won the toss and had elected to put the home team in young tom clemmer and young daniel dray were already at the wickets taking middle i looked round at the glum set faces of the spectators and felt tragedy in the air Fower men and a parson whispered the old cobbler to me behind his hand a old rickety chap as can't run and five bits o lads drat that there hay huh now they're off the umpire had called play the fast stavisham bowler we knew him of old retired into open country wheeled and bore down on the crease like a bull at a gate young daniel ducked then turned up a face of indignant scarlet but the ball had gone by for two and a chuckle of relief spread through the crowd the bowler prepared to try again dan'l's got the sun in his eyes said old dray anxiously as he watched i never can bide that top wicket steady now danny and keep a straight bat he roared out the last words and then in a moment we were all on our feet in consternation the ball had never left the bowler's hand that much we were sure of daniel stood at his wicket safe and sound but tom clemmer was coming back to the tent followed by a derisive chorus from the whole field help tom never help what in the world how at you lad how never 
tis a swindle tom amidst the eager exclamations of his friends tom clemmer strode into the tent and began slowly to unbuckle his pads all the time he stared fixedly into space i could a hup with my fist he said after a moment's wrathful silence addressing no one in particular and i could a gin that there grocer chap set ye but there tis no sense yammerin don't ye run out sir or i'll hae ye same as a had me he spoke now to the curate who was preparing to go to the wicket and the truth dawned upon us at last the bowler had played tom a very ancient and very mean-spirited trick old clemmer regardless of the agony it caused him stamped his swaddled foot upon the ground and a think tom he groaned as ye lit up the forge far special for an only last sunday cause his old mare but we had no thought for anything but the disaster that had befallen us and all that was now imminent with tom clemmer the one hope of windlecombe out of the fight what might happen to the rest with bated breath we watched for the third ball young daniel drove it over the bowler's head and with a trembling pencil i put down two to his name playing with desperate care he added two more before the end of the over and we began to pluck up heart again young tom came and stood behind me his big thumb travelled down the list of names on the scoring book tis not lost yet he said with reviving cheerfulness dan'l may do well once to get set and belike mr weevilly will bide out a bit then there be huggins wi his luck and who knows but what the boys will account for a dozen or so atween em i had now time as the fielders were accommodating themselves to the left-handed batting of the curate to glance down the list the last name came upon me as an utter surprise what never old stalwood why he must be seventy if he's a ay captain stallard sure now tis a joke more than anything but ne'er another livin soul there were as could oh jupity mr weevilly's help leg of four but it was not mr weevilly's leg with a white face his body bent to the shape of an inverted letter l and both arms clasped about his middle the curate came tiptoeing back to the tent he sat down silently in a corner huggins a lean red-whiskered giant in moleskins burst out into the sunshine and made for the wicket waving his bat like a war-club and murmuring imprecations as he went now tis just touch and go said young tom in my ear if i hits em they'll travel you mark me twill be either the river the town or windle hill 
huggins stood at the wicket legs wide apart and bat held high over his head the bowling now was swift stealthy underhand the ball sped down the pitch never leaving the grass for an inch a crack rang out in the dazzling july sunshine daniel dray started to run but the batsman waved him back huggins stood watching the skied ball until it came to ground in the next field he laughed uproariously <laughs> what do you think of he it was another four and that made eleven in all huggins swung up his bat and spread his great hobnail boots for a still mightier effort the ball hissed down the pitch huggins caught it as it hopped from a tussock like a lark it soared up into the blue and we heard a clear musical plunk as it dropped into the river a roar of delight burst from the crowd lost ball shouted tom behind me hurrah seventeen huggins spat upon his hands took a reef in his leather belt and lifted his bat again the little underhand bowler came crouching up to the crease and launched the new ball almost from his knees wide and wild it flew this time but there was a sound of crashing timber huggins's wicket scattered into space stumps and bales whirring together halfway up the pitch he had hit the wrong thing and now wailed poor tom clemmer tis as good as finished dan'll want had no chance just as well declare and had done wi it the boys they'll all be done in a hover and well and what about the cap'n tom it was the voice of the captain himself and we all turned to look he was leaning comfortably against the tent pole the very picture of an old superannuated foxhall hand he wore his usual vast faded blue suit a seaman's cap with hard shiny peak gripped his bald head from the rear his red face swam in joviality and perspiration tom regarded him with mingled respect and doubt ye can't run mast stallard true tom and ye hain't touched a cricket bat for thirty year true again returned the captain serenely ah uh, hum well a good pluckton ye be anyways now then dicky the first small boy set forth over the sunny stretch of grass that lay between the tent and the waiting team very small and insignificant he looked in his school corduroys and leg pads that reached well nigh up to his waist his advent was greeted with ribaldry from all parts of the field we heard daniel dray admonishing the boy as he came smiling up to the pitch now dicky 
don't ye dare run till i shouts to ye and then run as if he were after ye hold your bat straight ye young varmint now then look out there what did i tell ye dicky's wicket was down and dicky himself was running back to the tent vastly relieved out with ye georgie huggins and do as well as your father cried tom clemmer encouragingly tis over and dan'l's got the play now oh dan'l dan'l if only twere you and me but playing with the ingenuity as well as the courage of despair young daniel dray now began to show his true mettle odd runs he refused taking only even numbers so that each time the bowling fell to his lot again at the end of the over he stole a desperate single with the same object in view he reached home safe enough but georgie was run out boy number two had been disposed of at the cost of a gallant six following the same tactics young daniel eked out the remaining three boys with still more crafty skill when at length old stallwood the last man launched out into the sunlight to show the town what he remembered of cricket the score had risen to forty-nine and our spirits with it we cheered him lustily as he went one more quoth tom clemmer just one and i'll light me pipe there'll be others a chance with fifty losh look at the cap'n three times on his way to the pitch he had stopped turned and waved his cap in acknowledgment of the ovation given him and now he was greeting the stabishamites each by name and shaking hands with the wicket-keeper he got to the crease at last and grounded his bat the next moment the whole field had left their places and run for the tent leaving the captain standing alone and amazed at his wicket i can't know or be helped said tom do ye understand i never heard the ball a shout and never seed the ball a comin be like a thinks they be all gone for a drink to hearten em at the sight of such a cricketer and being free for a time i took upon myself the task of walking out to the captain and breaking the news to him as gently as i could end of section thirteen